0: Hey, I gotta tell you guys about something, and I'm really excited to talk about this because I got a brand new front door lock. And it's not just any lock. It's a Ufi video lock. You might be thinking, what's the big deal, Chael? Well, okay, I'm gonna tell you. First off, it is sleek. I mean, it's a very big deal. My father used to build houses. My whole life I've known how important curb appeal is. I used to be in real estate. When I show somebody a house, the front door is the very first thing you see. This thing is a piece of art. It truly is, and it's such a good-looking piece of hardware. It instantly upgraded my front door. I was excited about the functionality. So not only do I get an instant makeover with a piece of art, you now have a different level of protection. It's a smart lock. It's got a 2K camera with audio and doorbell all in one. Most competitors are either just a camera or a smart lock. The Eufy Video Lock has both plus a doorbell and it can all be controlled via an app, which makes things so convenient. I hate when I hear the doorbell ring and I'm comfortable inside. I gotta get up, go to the door, just to find out it's a delivery man who dropped the package and is already long gone. The Eufy Video Lock now allows me to avoid all of that. I can just peek at the app. I can even talk to him or hear him talk back to me. Also, my wife and I travel a lot. It's an added level of security at my front door and it makes me feel a little bit more at ease. It was very easy to install. No, there are no monthly fees for the security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. The Ufi Lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Ufi Video Lock online. Do that by going to Ufi, E U F Y Video Lock, or visit ufiofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you gain complete control of your door. Say goodbye What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. We have a massive event coming up tomorrow night because we got two title fights and Nate Diaz makes his return to the Octagon. I can't wait, and I know you all can't either. Coming up on today's show, I'll give you my official prediction for Izzy Adesanya versus Marvin Vittori Part 2, and I'll talk about the Diaz brothers and what their future holds in store. But before we get there, let's begin by taking a look at what's happening at the top of the UFC's welterweight division. Leon made a statement. Leon Edwards was talking about Kamara Usman and he gave an, an insult. It was meant as an insult that Kamara Usman over the years has fallen in love with his hands. And I realize in the world of insults like that's low fodder however it is Leon trying to give an assessment of look I'm understanding Usman and Usman is becoming more one-dimensional that is what he was saying by falling up with his hands and you know what that's a real thing I don't know that I have seen Kamar Usman do it I will look for it now now that Leon has brought it to my attention I will look for it a little bit what I have seen with Usman is that he is using his hands a lot to set up his wrestling still he is a threat of wrestling at all times He was a major threat to Gilbert Burns at all times. He had a little bit of a hesitation of going to the ground, so strategically he stayed on his feet. With Colby Covington, both he and Colby threw wrestling out. They both just knew each other and respected each other and said, this probably isn't going to work for me. Let's go to plan B. They They both came to the same opinion, which we didn't know until the referee said, are you ready? And it turned into an absolute war on their feet. I bring it to you because I'm not I'm not positive that Leon's right. Even though if you go back and you look at the recent fights, the last three to four by Uzman, they were very stand up heavy. That's true. I just I I just think they were done sh- for strategic reasons. I think he respected Gilbert on the ground. I think the same thing with Mosley. I think he was getting ready to take Mosley down. I think he did throw that again uh, out against Colby Covington. But if you back up before that to the night he won the championship, which wasn't terribly long ago, it was all ground game. So I don't know that I'm ready to, to label Uzman with that yet. But Leon most certainly has the right to his opinion, and particularly if he's going to be his future opponent. That would play right into Leon's hand. I don't know if Leon would want to be pointing that out. But the best thing that Leon could do... Is end up in a stand up battle with Usman, and whether that works out or not, I'm saying that's the best thing that he could do. I don't think you want Usman coming out there tackling you, staying on top of you, grinding on you. I don't think. And that's a golf term. Fell in love with, it's a guy falls in love with his swing. It's a golf term, but it is very real in MMA. I've seen it a number of times. The only guy I've really seen it work out for for the duration of his career is my own teammate Dan Henderson. Dan was a two time Olympic wrestler. Nobody would have known he had good hands, including himself. Turns out, and he had the same setup every time. He'd change elevation, pop back up, throw right down the middle, and it was so hard. I mean, they even called it the H-bomb. I felt that thing. I couldn't even tell you how many times. He was a natural and didn't miss, even in practice. He just had an accuracy. He had a power that was natural. He had a timing. He had a setup that was natural. It was change elevation, just like you do in wrestling, come back. I mean, everything just fit. It worked out for him. I have seen... Josh Koscheck would be guilty of falling in love with his right hand. Uh, Johnny Hendricks would fall into that category. Now, I'm talking about the best guys in the world, so I don't know that there's any kind of an insult here. It is true, though, that over a period of time, you will lend to, from a psychological standpoint, whatever gets you the most oohs and ahs from the crowd, ooh, ah, you will just naturally gravitate in that area. And sometimes you'll convince yourself I'm okay, and then you'll go out and have a good performance. I mean, I would imagine if I'm in Usman's shoes and I just knocked out Masvidal. Turned him sideways, by the way. I've never seen that before. Usman hit Masvidal so square and so clean that Masvidal, who was... Fa- turned sideways for the, for the follow-up shot that put him down. I mean, I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, I bet Usman does really believe in his hands, sure. I can also see where that would be a problem. I mean, that's a shootout game. Usman played that game with Burns just two fights ago, and Usman got hurt twice. Now, he worked his way through it. He pushed through it. I give him credit. I'm not faulting him. I'm sharing with you how risky that game is, for sure. And I'm not sure if I was Usman's opponent or future opponent that I would tip him off to his weaknesses. I used to study guys all the time, and it wasn't me. It was Clayton Hires, but Clayton was a master of it. He was a master And he could see everything, and he would point things out, and he would tell it to me. One time, Clayton would study my opponents. We'd go on what's called a coach's run, which is one of the hardest workouts I've ever done, but the coach's run wasn't. The coach's run is where where coach does it with me. So we meet, we go to pace, we talk the entire time. That is the one and only time Clayton and I would strategize. That was it. That was the talk. Whatever I absorbed and took with me for the next 10 weeks, that was the talk. And I remember Nate Marcourt. I was getting ready to fight Nate Marquardt. And I was a two and a half to one underdog. And I had trained with Nate before. Nate should have been the favorite going into this fight. But Clayton had noticed something. And it was real simple. But he used to compare Nate to a drag car. A drag car will fire up and then it will go. And one thing that Nate always did, and it was in every video and every sequence of every fight that Clayton studied is before Nate would come after you, he would do a shake first. Every time, never miss. He was a drag. He'd get warmed up, and then boom, he would come at you. But every time. It wasn't fake a jab, throw a right. It wasn't fake a right, throw a right. Fake a right, throw a kick. It wasn't these things. He would do a motion, and then he would come at you full sprint. He put a lot of guys down. Just before me, he put Damian Maya down in like 10 seconds. But he, built, he did the drag car first. He did it every single time. It was a major benefit that I had. And I waited for that drag car every time. Boom, and that's when I went. That's when I would attack. I knew I had a beat. I knew that I had a beat before he he could get off. And it's a real thing. I do it too. I don't know what my tendencies or tells are. I don't know. I'd change them if I knew. But I can tell you habits are a real thing. When you learn on the mitts and then you go to the heavy bag and then you go into the ring, there's things that you develop and you can't get around them. They become absolute habit, right? You comb your hair the same every day. Put your deodorant on the set. You brush your teeth whether you know it or not. You brush it the uh, same every single day. you do your tongue first or you do your tongue last? Whatever your answer is, it's been the same answer for 10 years. There's just some things in human nature. So if you can pick up on those tendencies, the habits, the habits can be very, very helpful. I point it out because in a million years, I never would have told Nate. I've never told Nate this until now. It's been 12 years. I think we can talk about the match. I would have never told Nate. And I like Nate. Hey, man, by the way. You rev up before you attack. You rev up every single time before you, you come at the guy. You're a drag car. I wanted to mention it to him. I didn't want him to know. I didn't want him to know that I knew. So the fact that Leon pointed out, I, it's a little bit surprising for me. And it's not the first time that we've seen it this week. We saw Coach Barryman, Adesanya's coach, Volkanovsky's coach, put that in perspective for you. Come out and say that Vittori's style is boring and the UFC doesn't want it because he takes people down. Now, I don't believe that anybody told Coach Behrman that. I don't believe Coach Behrman believes it at all. I believe Coach Behrman was attempting to play chess and plant a seed with Vittori to not come out and take Adesanya down because the UFC doesn't like it. I think that's what the move was. I think it was one of the smarter moves that I've seen in a period of time. But I don't know Coach Behrman well enough to know if I'm right. Perhaps he had information that he decided to blab on. I don't know. I don't think that that's the same case though with Leon. I think that Leon just saw something in the champ's game who could be his next opponent and pointed it out for the champ to observe. I'm not sure that's wise. Well, speaking of the complicated welterweight picture. I can't help but wonder where Nick Diaz fits into all this and when he's finally going to make his return to the Octagon. The question that keeps on going around, the topic that just won't die. Dana came out and said, things are looking up. I believe Nick will fight this year. Hard stop. No more info. And that's right along the lines with everything we've ever gotten Nick Diaz related over the last five years. Something really loose that involves nickname. That gets everybody excited. But here's the question. Where do you go with Nick? What do you do? And you want to know the good news? You want to know the good news? There's no wrong answer. Anybody will take the Nick Diaz fight. No matter what. Whether they think they're going to beat him or they know it's a beating to them, just for the attention, they'll take that fight. Just for the placement on the card that Nick is going to demand, which is top billing, they will take that fight. Problem Or at least I should say the other side of it. I don't think it's a problem because Nick's been very honest. To quote Nick, I don't want to get in there with some of those... Get in there and jump around with some of those young guys. Okay, great. I appreciate that because now Nick has told us... There's some guys I'm not looking to fight at this point in my career. Awesome. He told the truth. So what it appears to me where I'm sitting... I got no better uh, seat to this thing than you do, guys. But it appears that all we need is for Nick to say who he does want to fight. Everything that I have observed is just Nick saying no and why. He'll turn someone down, Hosmet Shemaya, but then state why he turned him down as opposed to coming in with a suggestion of how about this guy and why. And we don't even need the why. It's going to be a yes. I have to tell you, though, right? I mean, when you're making television, when you're doing promotion, when you're doing something that involves telling a story, you can have a great fight. You can have a great show. You can go pitch something in Hollywood and have a great movie, or you can have a great strategy. You do not have to have both. And the problem that you have with Nick is you don't have a great strategy. He's fought one time in five years. He's now asking for a fight for the first time in half of a decade. If we're going to follow that trajectory or something even close, it means we don't get two and three Nick Diaz's. We have a one-off with Nick. Well, then hear back from you when and if we hear back from you. So we don't have a strategy. If you don't have a great strategy, then you got to back back up to, okay, I need a good movie. It's got to be good. Have you ever seen John Wick, just by example? John Wick is fine. I watched them all. It's not a great movie. Hollywood loves the idea. You can make it cheap. You have a high reasonable assurance you're going to get your money back. Oh, and by the way, if it does work at all in the marketplace, you can duplicate it 10 more times. John Wick on a skyscraper. John Wick in space. John Wick in a submarine. You have a strategy. You don't have a great movie. You have a great strategy. With Nick, we don't have the strategy. We don't have two and three parts. Dana came out earlier today and announced that the winner of Nate Diaz, Leon Edwards would fight for the belt. Now, I must tell you, I've heard that told two different ways. I have two different websites. i got the Dirt Sheets. i got the BJPen.com. BJPen.com is usually a little bit more accurate. I, the only reason I offer this is so you don't have to correct me. I read it, but I read it twice, I read it two different ways. First way I read it was that deal's only good for Nate. If Nate beats Leon, Nate gets the title shot against the winner of Usman Covington. Second way I read it, it's good for both, it's a straight up semifinal. Whoever wins here advances, goes on for the gold. I'm cool with it either way, I'm just sharing with you guys so you don't have to correct me that it has been reported both both ways, but that's a strategy. You don't have a strategy. And you see where that becomes effective because in many parts, I think we were all surprised when we saw that Nate chose Leon. And it is just that. Every fighter gets assigned to fight. They get a phone call. They get placed for a fight. Nate chose Leon. And Nate could have deflected that and chose somebody else. But Nate Diaz has been choosing opponents for a period of time. And I think a lot of us, I know I was, surprised he chose Leon. There was just no heat between those two. There was no natural beef. There was no way to build it. There was no no real story there. Not an incredible matchup in terms of, hey, there's a very clear strategy for you to go beat him, Nate. No, it's it's a hard night out. That's what Nate does. Nate takes hard nights out, but he generally doesn't think of it the same way other fighters do, which is, what do I need to do to get me to where I want to be, which is the championship? We don't always know if Nate even wants the championship. That has never been something that Nate Diaz has ever made perfectly clear. I am working and sacrificing. I have a dream since I was a little boy. I want to be world champion. He's never used those words. So sometimes it's tough to put a strategy together. That's the only uh, point that I'm attempting to make. When I ask you, okay, we're going to see Nick this year. Who do we see Nick against? I don't know that there's a wrong answer. There needs to be something somewhat compelling because you either have a great product or you have a great strategy. You don't need both. You need one of those two. I'm confident in telling you the second. The long-term play with Nick is likely a very limited belief within the office. So for one night only, going to have some fun. We're going to bring some attention. We're going to bring some attraction. Who is that opponent going to be? And I think if Nick just said a name, that's who he'd be facing. And I don't know what makes him resist doing that, by the way. If he says he wants to fight but he doesn't like the idea of the names that you're suggesting to put him in there with, it would just seem very reasonable to me that you would offer a name or two, or three, that you do like. But for whatever reason, it doesn't appear to be, the conversation doesn't appear to be working that way, right? And again, I'm making some guesses here, people. I have no better view of this than you do. I just know, putting my, following the golden rule, put yourself in someone's shoes, how would you be treated? If I was on a phone call and I didn't like the idea, I would offer a suggestion that I did like. It'd it'd be one phone call. Click, click, call you back. I'd have it done in 20 minutes. This has been going on. When's the first time we heard about Nick returning? I want to say the first time Nick even flirted the idea in front of us that he might return was the night that Nate lost to Masvidal for the BMF. Two years? Am I exaggerating? Year and a half? Somewhere right in there. 20 months? I'm, I got to be close, meaningful amount of time ago for a phone call that would take anybody else 10 to 15 minutes total with lag time, with, hey, I got to call you back. Let me call this guy. Oh, let me talk to that. 20 minutes in total. So I'd be curious what Nick wants to do, and perhaps and some guys just refuse to call someone out. Nick probably has somebody in mind, and he's waiting until that name comes up. It's a very odd back and forth That it's taken this long. It's very odd. But one thing Nick hasn't lost is us. He hasn't lost our attention. He's dangled it, he's teased it. It's a little bit annoying, but we're still here. We're still here, which means Nick's still winning. Who's he gonna face? Who would you like to see him face? I would love if you left a comment because I would love to see. If I see the same name coming up over and over again, from a strategic standpoint, okay, you got to put a little bit of a cap on, put a little bit of a cap on of not just who you want to see him face, who realistically do you believe he would accept a match with at this point in his career? up in a moment i'm going to turn my attention to ufc 263 and the brother of nick diaz who had something interesting to say earlier this week about francis and gano's comments that's next but first a word about one of our sponsors summer is upon us and what's a better way to enjoy the relaxation it brings than taking advantage of a meal kit service guys hello fresh will deliver fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouthwatering seasonal recipes right to your door. Count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable this summer. Summer schedules are a bit unpredictable. In our household, we have swim lessons, some days gymnastics, staycations and short weekend trips planned, and the last thing we want to do is think about what we're putting on the table that day. HelloFresh cuts the stressful meal planning and grocery store trips so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in about 30 minutes. They also have their signature quick and easy meals, 15 to 20 minute dinners, breakfast on the go and more easy options that are perfect for the busy summer months. Those have been lifesavers for us lately. I highly recommend you try HelloFresh for yourself. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Chael12 and use the code Chael12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping, guys. That's right, 12 free meals. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash Chael12. Use the promo code Chael12 and get 12 free meals and free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Nate Diaz responded to Francis Ngannou's question. Francis Ngannou's question the other day via social media known as Twitter was, what are we doing wrong? It was in relation to the payout that Jake Paul was given for the boxing fight. So he said, what are we doing wrong? And Nate Diaz answered the question while doing media rounds for his fight this weekend. He said, you should have listened to daddy, meaning himself. You should have listened to me. I've been barking about pay from the beginning. You should have barked about it from the beginning. I wasn't never no champion, but I refused to do things until I got paid. That's what you should have done. Okay. Liked it. Like hearing Nate talk. Glad he's doing uh, media. Glad he's doing promotion for the pay-per-view. Like that he referred to himself as daddy. Problem with the story, that's not what happened. That is not what happened. That is not the Nate Diaz story. If Nate feels that is his story, he would have a reason to because he is telling the truth that he held out and refused to come in. It's still not what happened. People liked Nate. People wanted to see Nate fight. Nate got help and many brothers do. Many brothers can do things in half the time. It's as though they have double the media. Double the presence—it's a real thing—and you're seeing it even with the Paul brothers right now. I don't have the foggiest idea what their record is, either one of them. I think they fought five times. No, that means one of them's done it twice and one of them done it three times. They both get credit. It's one of those things. The Sarah boys got a good run. You'll remember back in the early days, but the Shamrock boys got a good run. The Hughes boys got a good run. And I remember—I realized between the Sarahs and the Hughes, there was one brother that was meaningfully different, but the other brother mattered, just did. Same thing with the Shamrock Boys. One was meaningfully better, but they both met. The name just helped. It's a reality is the point I'm trying to make. So Nate had this. And people liked him. And he had a fun style. And he had an attitude. And he was going to do it his way. At least this was the image and it was compelling. He was the anti-hero the sport was looking for. He truly was. Nate did not get paid because Nate barked and held out. When Nate barked and held out, Nate got to be unemployed. What happened with the Nate Diaz story is he filled in on short notice opposite Conor McGregor and then beat him. That is the Nate Diaz story. It wasn't Nate saying no and holding out that got Nate paid. It was the time Nate picked up, and it was the right call. It was the right opportunity. But he answered the phone, and he said yes. That's what got him paid. He then went out and he did something called performing well. And now he's got Connor again, who said, I want a rematch. Now Nate is in a position to talk. It's a game. Nobody would say it's different, including Dana White. It's a game. Make your play when you're ready. These guys are making their play early. Nate made his play early. He missed fights. He struggled with his mortgage. He didn't know where the next paycheck was. It was not the sitting out in the barking that got Nate to where he is. It was the one time he picked up and he played ball. It was the right fight. It was the right performance. It was the right interview. It was the right rematch. And he did parlay that. That is true. He continued to be difficult. He continued to hold out. Next thing you know, he's headlining MSG on ESPN, fighting for the BMF in front of The Rock. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where opportunities did line up. That is a risky game. If Nate is out there encouraging anybody, do what I did, and you think, okay, great, I'm going to, please listen to me. Please don't listen to Nate. Nate is my friend. Nate has a false perception of what it is that worked for him. Don't do it. Do not listen to him. Okay? He's wrong. He's wrong not only to give you the advice, he's wrong if he believes that's what his secret to success was. His success was not holding out. His success came the day he picked up the phone and he said yes. Because of his stardom, Nate Diaz is one of the guys we'll all have our eyes on this weekend. But then, of course, there's the headliner himself, Israel Adesanya. And there's a story I wanna share from this past weekend that makes me think of the champ. And then after I tell you that story, I'll give you my official prediction for Saturday's main event. Guys, over the weekend, I went to Sweet Home, Oregon for Coach Thorpe, and I was speaking to a graduating class of athletes. So not only were they graduating, but of athletes specifically. And he asked me if I would give them a few words. So I drive down, And had a very wonderful time, but one of the things that I told this group, and it was the very first thing I told this group, which is, I am here to give you advice, but whatever comes out of my mouth next, I didn't think up. I got somewhere else. I heard someone else say. I identified and took with me. So we're all athletes here, but I'll use my own sports career as a wrestler. I never scored a point with a technique that I made up. I got them all from somebody else. I saw somebody else do it. I learned everything from somewhere else. And if you're the next Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, I don't want to stifle your creativity, but I would encourage you to identify early on, are you the great thinker and developer and the next Einstein out there? Or are you better off to do what Chael did, which is to see somebody else who's already done what I want to do and then copy them? And it's tough when you talk to high school kids about that because, up until this point in their life, everything they've ever known about copying is cheating. Talk about homework assignments. You're talking about a quiz or a test. No, it doesn't work that way outside of there. You should be able to look around, see somebody that's doing something effectively, and study it. Whether that's in current time or you've got to go back in time, you do not need to reinvent the wheel. I only offer that for you because. I see this in the world of MMA, where many guys are coming out and they're trying to be the next Rock. Or they're trying to be the next Austin, and try, instead of trying to be the first themselves. And if you ever get it wrong in MMA, if you just don't know what you're doing, just do what Izzy does. I have not seen Adesanya get one wrong yet. Adesanya came out. He was in a conference call interview with Vittori. I mean, these are just a couple, but in the last 48 hours, something that's very topical that you can relate to. In the last 48 hours, Vittori, on this conference call, told Adesanya, I don't like you very much. Adesanya trumped him and goes, well, I hate you. And I remember when he said it, it's a very simple line, but but Vittori said, hear this again, I don't like you very much. Now, that's not nice. That's not a nice thing to say. How do you respond to that? Most of you go, well, I don't like you either. No. Izzy responded, but he trumped him. Well, I hate you. Hate is a lot stronger than I don't like you very much. It was just one of these simple back and forth, but there was something brilliant to it. Adesanya did an interview today. He said, we don't even need the judges. He left it at that though. Open-ended. That is much better to allow a level of speculation, right? The the speculation is very clear, I'm well aware. You don't have to put on your Columbo rain jacket to see. He's saying, I'm going to knock this guy out. I'm going to finish this guy. I get it, but he didn't say it. He didn't say it, and that's much better. I'm going to finish him in the first round. I'm going to knock him out of the first round. Guys say that all the time. It's boring. It's boring, and it doesn't behoove the audience to come and watch. Because what if you're right? If you're really going to get rid of this guy in the first round, why am I paying $50 for it? Don't tell me when you're gonna get rid of them. Let me guess. Let me wonder. Some people want it to be over in the first 30 seconds. That is a very small market. Some people want it to be over 24 and a half minutes in so that they get their dollars worth. Let them guess. It is always more powerful to allow speculation, which is what Adesanya did. He made no claim. We All he said is we don't need judges for this one. I bring this to you because, you know what? Hold the thought. You guys want to know something? When I did The Apprentice, I was able to spend a day with Warren Buffett. And yeah, yeah. Nobody name drops more than Chael. I I get that I'm doing that. But in that day, there was an hour that was just back and forth where you could ask questions. And I did. And the way his mind worked, and I had read three of his books prior to this, and they were all in the the books as well, was, was always a simplicity. By example, he had a stain in his shirt one time. This is from a book. He had a stain in his shirt one time. He couldn't get it out. He liked the shirt. He finally used Tide laundry detergent. Tide was the one that got the stain out. He went and bought the company. But it was always things like this. And I was in front of Warren specifically on a seize candy project. He owns C's Candy. We had to go into the the, the 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 chocolate factory, the lab, design our own candy, fly it out to Omaha, present him with it. It was the entire challenge. So he talked about why he bought C's Candy. And when he went to buy it, his entire plan was keep the company exactly the way it is, up the price of candy, thus upping the profits. That'll cover the spread. We win. And everybody said, well, that's ridiculous. You can't go in and change the price of candy. Everybody knows what candy costs. They'll just buy your competitor. And he said, no, I don't think so. said, Seize Candy specifically, I believe, is bought for anniversaries, for Valentine's Day, and at the holidays. Three times a year. I don't think they do know what it costs. And it was an excellent point because I could relate. I buy C's Candy. I don't know what it costs. Uh, if you want to go in and buy a pound of chocolate or a half pound of dark chocolates or or, or a box of a swords cho- I'm Warren's right. I have the foggiest idea. Now, if you tell me a Snickers or a Kit Kat or a Twix, those are all 50 cents at my local Chevron. Throw a Butterfinger and a whatchamacallit in there, they're all 50 cents at my local 7-Eleven. I will know if all of a sudden they're 80 cents. So he went in, he bought the company for a billion dollars or $2 billion back in the 70s at the time. It's now got a $30 billion evaluation. I'm changing numbers. But you you understand my point. It's something along these lines. And all he did, he didn't, he didn't restructure anything. He didn't change how it was marketed. He didn't change how it was wrapped. He didn't change how it was made. He just added 30% to the price, understanding that the consumer who buys that buys that for specific reasons because it represents specific things, and he doesn't think they buy it enough to know what it costs. He was right. That was in the 70s. It was a very simplistic mindset is what I'm sharing with you. Much like I told the kids, you can go out and create something new. Sure you can. And you're generally going to look like a fool. But without risk, there's not reward. I, again, I would not stymie that if you've got a creative mind. And we do see them come along. Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley, by example, is not a good guy or a bad guy. He represents something t- completely in between. He has got a character and a gimmick completely of his own. And then you've got the Adesanya. Adesanya's got something completely different. Adesanya will entertain you on the way to the ring, in the ring, and as he exits stage left. He is the only one in sport, and I think that you possibly would have to include MVP. Nobody else does that. Nobody can do it Go into Deontay Wilder comes out in a ridiculous outfit. Whether he puts on a good performance for you or not, on the way out the door, you're going to get nothing. And that's okay. That's a compliment to Deontay. Deontay hits you with two of the three. The three of the three... It's pretty damn rare, right? I mean, you're talking about Conor McGregor-level status here, where every time that camera's on, stop what you're doing. Everybody be quiet. Something, something's happening. I don't know what's about to happen, but something's happening. That's great TV. That's incredible TV. That's what somebody makes a TV star. They'll get you every which way you go. Most of the fighters, if you're to sit them down and ask how many aspects are to their fight, they would have no idea there was three. Well, there's an entrance and there's the fight and there's the exit. My God, I never thought of it like that. I'm sure they did. it. Most of, most of them do not. If you're one of those guys, that's okay. If you want to build your way up the car, if you want to be like the champ, you don't have to just learn how to do a question mark kick. You've got to learn how to captivate people. It was a simple line. We don't even need judges. It's a simple line. I don't suggest for you Adesanya made that up. I'm quite sure. In fact, I've even heard it before. Wherever I've heard it before is likely who Adesanya stole it from. doesn't matter. Great line worked. Official prediction. Is he Adesanya versus Marvin Vittori? Guys, I'm taking the champ. I'm taking Adesanya. All we have to ask ourselves is... What's going to be different this time? Now, generally, because, right, this is a rematch. Generally, when you're talking about a rematch, you're asking yourself who's better. What's going to be different? Who's better? And what evidence do we have, meaning fights in between the first one and the second one, what evidence do we have of who's gotten better? And that was a very close fight. That was a, again, quick timeline, though. Split decision, Adesanya. However, the viewing audience did not agree with that decision. I did not agree with that decision. I felt Vittori won. Michael Bisping, who had the best seat in the house and called the fight live, did not agree with that decision and thought that Vittori won. Vittori thought that Vittori won, and it looked as though Adesanya was pretty sure they were going to say Vittori won. That's an opinion, the last part, not a fact, but that's what I saw. What's different? Is Vittori better? He says he is. Vittori, and I spoke to him. He He said, chill. I am nothing like that guy said, Uncle Chael, if I today could fight the guy that Adesanya had a hard time with that night, I would stop that guy in the first round. I'm not even close. Now, I take Vittori at his word. I take him at his word. Why? I didn't see a lot of him. I don't have a lot of Marvin Vittori to go off of. I didn't have a lot of experiences watching him prior to the fight with Adesanya. Now, Adesanya got taken down by Vittori. Got held down by Vittori. It seemed like the blueprint that we've seen since 1993. If the better grappler can take down the better striker and hold him there longer than he gets struck against, he's going to win, right? Okay. Not what happened in Adesanya's next fight. In Adesanya's next fight, he got taken down just as easy. But he got back up. And that was very telling because now we're seeing that this guy has identified his own problems and has gone to the gym and fixed them. It was an incredible show of improvement. And Adesanya in the grappling department, in his fight, immediately following the one with Vittori, did not look great, but boy, he looked better. Meaningfully. His next fight, I was there at it. Madison Square Garden, Derek Bronson, by far the better wrestler that Adesanya had ever faced. This time, Adesanya doesn't get taken down at all. So in between Vittori, and I'm only moving forward two fights, in between that fight with Vittori... Adesanya continues to get taken down, but now he can get off the bottom. Immediately followed by, he doesn't get taken down. It was a major, ma- I mean, you can't make these kind of improvements, generally speaking. Generally speaking, when you can make these kind of improvements is the first year, or the first two years that you're in a sport, and that can be any sport. You can be playing basketball, doesn't matter what the rules are. It's generally only very early on in your career that your learning curve can be this vast. Adesanya was doing it in the octagon on his way to contendership. It was shocking. Next thing you know, he right, he's, he's in the match with Gatslem. Gatslam having a hard time taking him down. The one time he does, now Adesanya, it's not just a takedown or, or a getup. He throws up the triangle. Do you guys remember that? It didn't last. Kelvin defended it instantly, but it was still a brand new wrinkle in the game. Adesanya, the guy who got taken down and held there by Marvin Vittori, in between fixes the takedowns, in between learns how to get off the bottom, is now doing—he's throwing up submissions. He used that submission to set up an escape, came right back up to his feet, went to work, left with the championship. But do you guys remember that? It was vast improvement. Somewhere along the way, he ran into Yoel Romero. Now, Yoel Romero is a little bit more impressive on paper than he is in practice. He is an Olympic medalist. He is a world gold medalist in wrestling, which is impressive on paper, but he doesn't go wrestle a whole lot in the cage. He needed to wrestle with Adesanya. He wanted to wrestle with Adesanya. He was unable to wrestle with Adesanya. I'm speaking to the improvements made by Izzy. Paulo Acosta knew these same things. Great power. I can trade with him. I'd rather not. Couldn't get close. Adesanya just controlled distance too well. Every, anytime you try to threaten him, he brings a knee up. He reminds you, stay back. Guys tend to stay back. They start getting picked apart. They think, I'll figure this out. By the time they figure it out, their body's too beat up and hurt, and it just, it just doesn't work out. I mean, that's, that's, that's just the, the ritz and repeat of Izzy Adesanya. So I think what we're arguing about today, we're having a discussion. We're having a prediction on who we think is going to win. But the argument is who got better. What is going to be different? Marvin Vittorio is very confident that he is the one that has improved more. I would suspect that he is right in terms he has improved. It's the more. It's the more that we're debating. Marvin belongs in this fight. I know comments were made by Adesanya's camp that he he wasn't the first choice. Marvin Vittorio is the number one contender for the world championship. He's the right guy. This is going to be hell on both of them. These guys are both need to have a mindset. They're going to the emergency room when this is over. I need to win this fight. I'll I'll deal with my injuries later. This is going to be hell. But the make believe story that Marvin can close the distance and take Adesanya down at will and keep him there, I don't buy. Before I head out for the weekend, I want to give you my final thoughts on another big fight happening tomorrow night. Blahal Mohammed is going to take on Damian Maya. I want to give you an official prediction. Now, if I may insert myself, but I am involved in this, which is I am in the uh, past of Damian Maya. I fought Damian Maya, and I don't know if I've ever told you guys this before. And you wonder why I haven't told you guys this before? I've blocked it from my bubble. I forgot that it happened. I've denied before that it ha- and then had a crack. No, wait a minute, I did fight him. When I fought Maya, I got put in a triangle choke, but before that, I took the hardest punch, the hardest shot I've ever been hit with, before or after. Never been hit, including practice, ever been hit, right? I can't say that much clearer. I took it by Maya. I think that would surprise you. Maya's not known as a puncher. Well, let me tell you what happened, okay? Try to picture this position. I'm on top, he's on bottom. He reaches over. Now my head's right in the middle. He reaches over like he's gonna go for a kamora, insult by the, insulting that he thought he could Kimura me. Reaches over for an insult when well, no, he wasn't going for the Kimura at all. He was just built. He was winding up. So he comes back as he as he he comes back with a backhand. He hits me right in the face. He hit me so hard it made a click. I heard it. I'm in a packed arena in England. Diego Sanchez is going to fight Joe Daddy in the main event. People wanted to see this fight, okay, at the time. He hit me so hard, even in that packed arena, I can hear it. And Joe Rogan caught it. Joe Rogan said on the commentary, oh, he really just hit him there. And then moved right on. Just, he, Joe moved right past it. Joe's right. And that's where the fight was over. I'm telling you he triangled. It, I just teased the Kimura a minute ago. Could have kimura me after that. Fight was over at that point. That was in England, and to get back home to Oregon, I went from England to Atlanta. Atlanta changed planes, come to Portland. I bring up Atlanta because when I got off the plane in Atlanta, that was the first time that I had full control of my body. That's the first time I could step and walk, and my feet and everything felt fine. That's how hard that punch was. Whatever he did discombobulated me to that extent. It was the hardest punch I've ever taken. And they will tell you, they will tell you the one that hurts you is the one you don't see coming. That if you see a punch, no matter what the power, if you give any reaction, you know it's coming, that your body can adjust from a physiological standpoint, this is what they'll tell you. I can only tell you the other side of it, okay? Which is the one I didn't see coming it did the most damage, so I bring myself into this because I have high respect for Maya's abilities. Whether I have to remind myself of that night or not, and I do, I have legitimately I blocked that from. That did not happen. And athletes will do that. You got to you got to be careful what you let in. There's some things you'll learn about yourself a, a, along this journey that you don't like. You got it didn't happen, right? You got to go straight sociopath every now and then. Did not happen. So. When I watch Maya, and I watch Maya tie these other guys up, and I watch him get them in knots and pickles, and they don't don't know what to do, I understand it a little bit different. Okay, there's a little bit more happening out there, and the biggest problem you're going to have with Maya is the in-between. He is the only fighter who is dangerous in-between. He is without question number one, best there is, best there ever has been, of the in-between. What am I talking about? Well, you think fighting happens in two realms, right? On your feet, on the mat. Wrong. There's an in-between. Maya will pull you down. He will pull guard, pull you right into half guard to hit a sweep to come out on top. So many people that want to act as though Maya has represented the sport of jiu-jitsu and has proved the efficiency of a guard. Maya doesn't do anything from the guard. He didn't do anything from the guard except get the hell out of guard. Maya does everything from the top. Everything is top control. Everything is either on your back, in mount, or on top of you. Side control, half guard, but it's all from on top. The only thing he does on bottom is lure you in so that he can change the position. He's great at it. And I only point this out because he deserves credit for that. And the people that want to love Maya and just go, oh, it's jujitsu as a whole are missing the point. It is not just jujitsu as a whole. It is specifically half guard sweeps and top control, but the way Maya does it, and the way Maya gets, so I'm, try, I'm trying to get a message through to Kevin Holland right now. I got this thing going on with Kevin Holland where he thinks he can stay on his back, cooperating with the opponent, where the opponent wants him on his back, and then win favor with the judges and or submit the opponent. I'm trying to convince him he can't do that, but he also doesn't have to. Kevin has the ability to be the next Damian Maya. He's got that same length. He's got that same understanding of the ground. He's allowing for there to be a pause. There doesn't need to be a pause. Second you hit the ground, that's a trigger. Not a pause. Oh, let's stay here. It's a trigger. You hear your you hear yourself hit the mat. That's the trigger. Go! Damian Maya goes. It's the difference. Now, Muhammad wants this fight. What? Why? Well, Muhammad knows everything I just said to be true. Times five. I had very limited information on Damien Maia at the time I competed with him. My teammates had been in there with him a couple of times. So I had a little bit of inside information, but he'd only done three fights that were televised. I didn't know a lot about him. Muhammad knows everything I know times five and believes that he can go out there and deal with it. That's captivating to me. That's compelling to me. Muhammad's, Muhammad's tough as an old leather boot. I don't question that at all. Maya's tricky. He's very tricky. He's going to surprise you with punches. And they're not going to be some uh, spinning back kick, spinning back elbow, John Jones-esque, Izzy Adesanya style. No, it's going to be nothing like that. He's going to hit you with a left and a right. But it's going to be annoying. And it's going to make a thud. And then you're going to ask yourself as he's throwing it, is it worth slipping, changing in and taking him down where he wants to be anyway? Or should I just try to keep him on his feet for a few minutes? And then Maya's going to take a step forward. So you're going to move a little bit, and you're going to hit him, and you're going to connect because he's not got great head movement, and then he's going to take a step forward. You're going to find out you're in there with a tough son of a bitch. And you just don't have a whole lot of options. Okay, great. Throw strategy out. Let's just fight. Which means we're going to the ground at some point. It's one of those things, right? You're dealing with Br'er Rabbit. Br'er Rabbit's begging you, don't throw me in the Briar Patch. And then when you do, he laughs and tells you he was born and raised in the Briar Patch. That's what it's like with Damian Maya. It's tough, man. I've never fought anybody ever in my life that beat me that I don't want to fight again. Give me another chance. Put me back in there with him. I never asked for Damian Maya. I never talk about Damian Maya. I prefer to forget about Damian Maya. All right, guys. That's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it and that you get a chance to sit down on Saturday night and watch the UFC. I'm actually headed out right now to Arizona. I'm gonna see it in person. I can't wait, and I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna fill you guys in on all the details that happened at the event and behind the scenes. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.